the campaign, Eremis. Um, I have to admit, Eremis as a boss. Hit me with your thoughts on this. I, I gotta hear this first. Do you want to go first? Yeah. Yeah, go for it. Hit me. I mean, I personally. Uh, the campaign. I mean, it's hard to say because. Welcome back. Thank you for joining me on another episode. Episode three. It's been a minute since the last one. Welcome to the brand new studio. You can see behind me. We're in a slightly different location. I've actually moved since the last episode. Recorded the last two in my old place. And now, as you can see, beautiful, hopefully. Uh, let me know what you think. Got all the colors. Mm, I love um, the lighting. I know that on uh, Discord, it's not going to be as good as everybody who's uh, viewing yeah, this on you, YouTube. Is you're gonna seeing get to through see, the, wow. the different camera. But the audience, the... The viewers can see the hopefully uh, pretty background. Um, mm. Or if you're an audio listener, um, there's no difference. We just sound the exact same. That's what I love about the the audio art. It's like, because we're obviously YouTubers. We're so used to spending so much time editing video. Yet there's a massive, arguably even bigger these days audience of people that just want to listen to stuff and don't even care about like literally all this expensive cameras and lighting and backdrop and like framing and angles is kind of wasted because some some people just like to listen to stuff so wherever you're mm. listening or watching um but yeah i had a pretty um like i said to you pretty overwhelmed by the response to the podcast so far like it's definitely exceeded my expectations already i've seen a, a ton of interest i just want to say i appreciate all the support i've seen um people messaging me pretty much anywhere <laughs> that i can be found people messaging me on like Instagram and obviously tweets and comments and like business emails just to tell me like how much they enjoy it. And especially, uh, I can't take full credit for this, obviously you as well, our dynamic people seem to really enjoy it, which I'm glad. Nice, so man. I mean, you know, it takes it takes two to dance, right? So. Yeah, that's the thing. Like I, you, it's, it's, it's conversation, so I can't take full credit for it, but it's, I, uh, I anticipated that we would have some good stuff to talk about and people seem to enjoy it, so. Mm, and I'm sure that this, as episode three, will be the quietest episode of them all, and there will be absolutely nothing of consequence. That's, <laughs> that's another thing as well. The first, I said I wanted to get it off the ground before before um, Beyond Light came out, um, and I wanted to get some episodes done when there was nothing to talk about, which there was. There, there was basically nothing to talk about because it got delayed. So um, we got those done. You know, we can we can we, we can do episodes even when there's hardly anything going on and obviously now beyond light is out it's officially released finally um and we actually have a lot of stuff to talk about so it should be really good we've got a mountain of things not sure how much we're able to get through but um obviously beyond light your impressions what do you think how you uh how you getting on so far you're very heavy in the raid grind you um yes. you actually woke up at uh five five six no like 8 p.m yeah so 8 PM today. Uh, you, slowly... you, you are deep in the yeah. grind how's that going I'm... I'm slowly pushing that sleep schedule back so I yeah. can wake up it's actually very clever. PM UK time. So that means that when I wake up, I've got about an hour, you know, do the typical thing, shower, teeth, get breakfast, do whatever. Um, and then after everything is finished up there, you can jump into the raid at the very beginning of the day and do a fully powered day one attempt. So that's what I'm doing with my sleep schedule right now, which unfortunately means that I am uh, awake at ridiculous times of the day, but that's fine. You know, we, we do this for the sake of the content. Uh, as for Beyond Light, my God, um, I got to I got to I got to talk about this to Go really it. describe it. I was sitting there with two of my raid team members. We got Barb and we got Marty, aka Outlock, and we are going through and getting a hundred k nightfall done. You know, pretty typical stuff. It's Omnigal this week, or no, yeah, they changed the it. Yeah, new version of mm. Omnigal, and 
I sat there and I was playing through this entire thing and using stasis and with the reworked mods for all the different um, champion modifiers like anti-barrier and all that on your exotics now because it's attached to the arms and you don't have the worry about trying to attach it to a mod slotless weapon. Yeah. You know, all these little things coming together, having a fully specced build on my Warlock, which allowed me to really take advantage of all the new tools in Stasis's sandbox, the aspects that were coming into play, and just watching the total carnage that we as a fight team were causing. It's still a, you know, it wasn't exactly a GM Nightfall level fight, but it felt so good. Like, Destiny has not felt this good in PvE, I dare say ever, if not at very least in a long time. Old statement. Stasis Stasis has changed the entirety of the sandbox, and I think that the design um, philosophy that Bungie is pursuing with not just the way that the Stasis subclass is built, but also with the way that they're looking at their mod system overall now has only doubled down on the good bits that we got from last year. So this is really where Armor 2.0 is leading to, this point mm. at which suddenly we have a broad spectrum of options that can make our builds incredibly powerful, and we're flexing those builds in environments that honestly have a ton of different like enemies and different attacking worries that you need to kind of manage and juggle, Briggs. but it's allowing you to really express that power. In PvE, I've never had more fun in Destiny as I've had with double stasis melees and warlock subclass and just rolling through ads methodically with a team. You know, I am so excited for the day one because if this is at least a taste of what endgame PvE is, mm, it tastes good. It's what taste really um good. what have you been using the Warmind Cell mods at all? Or what kind of mod setups? Protective light? Yes, so a mix of things. On my uh current build for my warlock, it's all charged with light. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's predominantly because I'm revolving everything around the use of my melee. So when I'm getting that out there, it's all about making sure that I can get my melee charge back as quickly as possible. So effectively, my entire thing is just control all the adds and make sure my teammates don't die. You know, freeze them or blind Good them man. with blinding grenades or stun them or do something, right? When it comes to my Titan, though, absolutely Warmind Cells, but that's purely based on the weapons that I've got in that build. Mm. They are really powerful, though. Warmind Cells are a very cheap thing to spec into in terms of mod cost, and they can absolutely shred entire groups of ads. It's very much well worth doing it. So I, there's good options all over the place. I genuinely think Warmind Cell mods, might, or just Warmind Cells, they might be one of the most underrated thing in all of Destiny. And I, I know mm -hmm. that's a bold statement, but I mean... It's because, I mean, they were introduced at a quiet time and they, were in, they weren't <laughs> yeah. explained the, you know, their mods, they're kind of complex to the, to the, especially to the casual player. I can understand how it might be a bit like, what's going on here? You've got the war mindset, you've got certain weapons. It's, it's a little bit confusing, but if you can just break through and just figure out how to, again, it's not too complicated. There's plenty of video guys, I'm sure, but war mindset mods are so, they're, they're ridiculously powerful. They're, mm -hmm. they're just... Yeah. I'm actually really curious to see how this raid is going to go with what, because it's just, they just br almost break. I'm, I'm always kind of wondering, do Bungie know they're in the game? Like, do Bungie know how powerful all my, like, because you can just drop one, shoot a couple enemies, um, get the Seraph SMG, shoot a couple enemies, drop mm -hmm. one, stun the entire room, keep tapping yeah. it, stun the entire, imagine like, I mean, most of the problem when it comes to the day one raid is just the amount of ads. And you'd yeah. be able to just, I don't know, ad clear just seems like it will be, I'm really curious to see how some of these mods, and especially Protective Light, it's tank mode. Some of the mods are so simple, yet so powerful, and I really want to see, like, how 
How much are they going to change that contest modifier, I think? Hmm. Like, this is what I really enjoy about the idea of all this, is that Bungie, they, they obviously know that Warmind cells are going to be used in the day one, mm. and they have built them to be really powerful. But we've not seen what is inside that raid, and this raid is not only balanced for all the stuff that we currently have in the sandbox, yeah. like Warmind cells and like Charge with Light, but also it's balanced principally around stasis and the new subclasses, which are seriously powerful. Mm. So you combine all of that with the new exotics, like Necrotic Grip. I don't know if you've seen that, yes. but my god, that thing is... <laughs> I need them. Ah, wow. I, 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 it's stunning to see the amount of ad clear that you have, but I have a feeling that it's all in the game for a good reason. You know, They wouldn't give us all these strong options unless there was a reason to have them. So I'm sitting here and I'm thinking to myself... Yes, some of this ad clear looks ridiculous, but what does that mean they're going to throw at us in mm. order to make use of it? Yeah. You know? And, you know, you've got to remember, too, that raids tend to be kind of like the focal point of where PvE ends up going. Um, and when Bungie wants to make the game harder, they will express it primarily through these endgame activities like raids and dungeons. Case in point, take a look at the transition from Eater of Worlds to Spire of Stars. Spire of Stars was the point at which Bungie said, okay, people are asking for the raids to be harder, let's make it harder. And there were endless waves of ads, and it was incredibly hard to do on day one. It was probably it the was. most brutal raid I think it was the most, yeah. Wish. Yeah, I'd right? say that. And so when you take all of that into account, if Bungie is giving us all of these big tools, inevitably it's going to be so that we can respond to a truly vast number of threats. Mm -hmm. Either that or an incredibly large number of strong threats that aren't going to be so easily taken down just by Warmind cells. Yeah. And I mean, they yeah, have to be, yeah. Yeah. You also got to consider the what raids do, right? Like, it's never just about the ad clear, which I almost wish it could be sometimes, considering the crazy builds that we've made, but... Yeah, uh, there will inevitably be mechanics and stuff that we need to figure out and things that are going to wipe us. And we don't know what that stuff's going to be. But at the time being, we've just got to go ahead and check all this out and see what's happening. Plus, there's also what we were just saying earlier, how this raid, there's we've got a week and a half between launch, uh, mm. launch the DLC and launch the raid. And the only other time that happened was Last Wish, which... I mean, you'd think having a week and a half extra time would make it beneficial. But the only other time we've had a week and a half... Last Wish is possibly, again, besides Spire of Stars, is Last Wish was debatably one of the hardest raids ever at launch. Mm -hmm. It was, even with a week and a half of prep, impossibly yeah. difficult. That's just trying to get that done even before reset was a mission. There was only a couple hundred people that even did it. But mm -hmm. yeah. when it comes to this raid, again, you'd think like, you know, we've got these Warmind Cell mods. We've got all the, so many other mods as well. Um, Protective Light. Um, so many mods and so many like powerful abilities and a whole week and a half, maybe it will. Maybe the difficulty is seriously, seriously hard. Because I don't know. Maybe I'm underestimating it, but um, maybe Bungie have, like you said, compensated, and it's just going to be impossibly difficult. Because it kind of would need to be to trample all the. Again, I want to see how how a Warmind Cell mod's not just going to tear through this whole raid. That's what I want to know. Right, yeah. and I think it's going to principally be with how they introduce enemies that are immune to some of those effects. Right? Yeah, probably. Like the number yeah. one things that I fear. Uh, for this raid are going to be the bosses they throw at us and any any enemies that count technically as boss type enemies and as vehicles mm. right yeah because all of that stuff is immune to any stun in the game regardless of whether it's blinding grenades cellular suppression stasis freeze like doesn't matter what it is they're all going to be able to commit to their main mechanics 
And that's all a very big part of how you control some of the larger stuff, you know? Stasis is really powerful, not just because it destroys all these lower tier adds with all the shatter damage, but you can lock down those really powerful, big endgame bosses for a bit. And there are some that are just so large they can ignore it. And that's where the problem's going to arise. Mm. That's where it's going to be really troubling to deal with these ads. Mm. So yeah, like that's what I fear. That's uh, that's the thing I'm going to be looking out for, alongside obviously the mechanics. Yeah, I'm liking it though. There's a lot of um, a lot of the little tweaks. I feel like have been some of my favorite about this expansion. Like you said, the uh, the mod system, the, just a tiny thing. Being able to put mods on exotics now, so you can have five mods. Like that's just. Mm. To, uh, Strangely enough, that almost made me more excited than a lot of other like brand new, like just that little ability to have, I don't know why, maybe it's just me, but just the ability to have that one extra mod. There was always, mm -hmm. it was always just, I wish I could have one more slot. And now I was just like, okay, I can have everything that I've, right. every, every, every build that I wanted. I've got some really nice build sets up. I'm liking them. Yeah. If you'll allow me to witter on about it generally. Absolutely. I've got to say this, when it, when it comes to either a season launch or an expansion launch, mm -hmm. One of the things in gameplay terms that I am most excited for is not new exotics and not new guns. Like, they're great, don't get me wrong. I'm excited for new additions to the mod system. It's one of the few disappointments I had with the gameplay side of things, is that they didn't add extra mods this time around outside of the artifact, which I get because it's a new subclass, you know? Yeah. Like, it's an entire new thing to balance. Mm. But warmind cells made season of the worthy for me playable and it made all of the different tower stuff that you had to grind for reasonable to do yeah because i sat there and i thought these mods are going to be worth it when season of arrivals came around and the recaster was giving you these incredibly powerful mods i grinded through that very very quickly because i knew that was going to be central to the builds that i was going to make mm. and lo and behold here we are a few months after all of that is done and we are in a place where all of that has suddenly come home to roost and mm. we have powerful new stuff that we can use alongside these mods. They are now the centerpiece of, I think, Destiny's true depth and endgame. And I think that mod system is something that initially we never thought we'd get because it was just so bare bones and basic. And how could we possibly flesh it out into something? Mm. That's you come a long way. It's like in, right? Like Destiny 2 year one. You have the, <laughs> you know, plus five kinetic mod or whatever or plus oh, five attack man. mod oh yeah do you remember wow. being able to put that plus five on your weapons and how wow. how that, that was what was would like turn it from 300 pinnacle? to 305 wouldn't it or right yeah or something like, oh, it, would, how... it would put it over the level that was yeah a yeah. whole mod the uh, that was like the only primary mod wasn't it just to, mm -hmm. just to yeah that was it kinetic that was it. yeah the <laughs> mods have come away yeah they have yeah and <laughs> I now you forgot about you that know, you look at what Forsaken did with weapon mods, and that looks basic that now compared yeah. to what we do with armor mods. That was right? a big first like, step. Cool, you can put a backup mag on your hand cannon if you wanted and get more rounds in the mag. That's great. I, I can put three mods together and suddenly I have my melee forever now. You know, like, oh, and by the way, I drop extra shotgun ammo when I'm surrounded by enemies. Is this making sense? Mm. Like, you Just know, the combinations. The, yeah. There's tons and tons of combinations. And again, I get this is stuff that... A lot of um, you know more casual players that don't you know just min max and go into the little nitty gritty and or maybe even play to get some of these mods. A lot of them were kind of time sensitive, but um, I think the mods is, is probably one of my favorite things about Destiny right now. Destiny Two right now is probably the thing I'm most interested in. I love just building mod sets and just building kind of tweaking what would be if I use this perk with this one, it combines with that and it gives more energy for this and stacks with light and it's just 
that's a little part of the game. But again, I feel like it's very much underutilized. And again, like we've always mm. said, there's reasons why, but I can probably count on one hand the amount of times I've seen a Warmind cell in the world. Just it's it's very I, I seem to be the only one kind of using them, but I kind of wish they were more wish they're more popular. Yeah. But I'm sure they will be. And I'm sure when you see it more in endgame, it will probably start to spread. But yeah, Warmind Cell I mods. Gotta, I, I gotta say this too. The um the big thing for me when it really uh comes down to all of the different additions for the mod system and everything is it keeps one of their core promises they made at the beginning of Shadowkeep. You know, they sat mm -hmm. there and they said, especially with things like Armor 2.0, we're making this game into more of an RPG. Mm -hmm. And they've done that in spades, you know? When I sat there and I was hoping for a first-person shooter RPG, seeing a mod system like this emerging seven years after Destiny 1 has been released is exactly the kind of thing I wanted at the very yep. beginning. You know, it's what I'm we imagined. so glad to be here. Mm. You know, I, I feel always to an extent because of how much I've like just immersed my time in this universe that I belong here. <laughs> but seeing the mod system like this has made me feel like I belong here in a gameplay sense. You know, like this is an amazing tool that we've been given. And mm. I'm so glad that we have this now in the game. So bravo. I hope we see more of this, especially considering that the armor with those mods will get sunset as time goes on. So Bungie is basically committed to adding new mods as time oh, yeah, continues true. so yeah. expect things to get crazier in the coming seasons over the next what it's probably like 10 months until the next dlc until witch queen comes out mm, um yeah, over the be. three seasons that follow things will get wild things are going to be crazy i'm really looking forward to that well, that was, yeah, the mod system. And yeah, I think just general, the PvE, I think is the strongest side of this whole expansion. Yeah, just like exploring Europa, the quests, um, the, char the character, you know, the status subclasses, the aspects. I think those are all kind of unanimously positive. Um, some of the things that the community hasn't taken too much of a liking to. I think probably the main thing I've seen most complaints about would be sunsetting. That has mm. not been... It's, I mean... I think from what I've from what I've seen, the general consensus seems to be that it's it is necessary. I think most people can agree that sunsetting does need to happen, but I think a lot of people agree that it hasn't been done correctly and too much has been taken away. Um, I think there's just a couple. I think it's things that they can probably fix with um, with some updates. Like one of the main things is the like you've got the Dreaming City and Moon loot drops are mm -hmm. sunset. Useless. Like you've got two. Yeah. Right two destinations which stayed which especially the moon is recent it's brand new dreaming city is kind of recent and is going to be big next year with witch queen and savathun we'd assume with the dreaming city curse but it's weird having the moon and dreaming city drop a relevant uh sunset loot you've got i mean the raids you can get you can infuse the gear which is cool like i've been using my nation mm -hmm. of beasts the hand cannon um yep but it is weird seeing yeah like a lot of a lot of locations dropping gear that that is that can't even be infused or is just like automatically relevant mm -hmm. i gotta agree and it's it you know it does hurt with the dreaming city but i think it as you said hurts even more with the moon mm. because again those very weapons, recent yeah they've been out for a year mm. i i i still lament the fact that those are not being brought forward because i had a i had a perfect tranquility for pve and I sat there and I thought to myself, like, yes, I want to use this. This will be a core part of my builds and stuff if ever I need a long-range damage option that isn't an exotic for the next raid. And lo and behold, here we are. 
it's never going to get used now. Mm. You know, like I, I, it makes me incredibly sad because there's so many great roles on those two. You know, and something else to think about: sunsetting isn't just something that I think people are right to complain about to a certain extent when it comes to losing certain parts of the sandbox that could be powerfuls, but also there's a variety question to throw in there. Um, and what I mean by that is this. I look at um, the current stock of machine guns in the game, right? Because yeah. at current, when you're not looking and including sunset stuff, you have two, mm. right? And that's the one you can get from Varix for the Empire Hunts, and that's the Seven Seraphs one, which is no longer obtainable. Hardly anyone like, has. Yeah, I mean, you know, it required you to grind during Season of the Worthy, and that's not something everybody was doing at the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you know, like, there are some options in the game that are unbelievably bare-bones. Now, we'll get yeah. a third. If you look in the collections and you look under the raid card, there is a heavy machine gun in Void. And it's basically the replacement hammerhead. Mm. You know, it's the same archetype, looking very similar in terms of a lot of stuff. But that leaves three three heavy machine guns that players can use yeah and that is not a lot especially considering that by the time sunsetting had kind of finished out we'd only just about expanded out to have nine heavy machine guns by season of the worthy before we learned about sunsetting we had this moment where we had suddenly got a 360 um archetype weapon for every element and the same for 450 and 900. So you had one of each element in each archetype, mm. just like you'd barely got all your bases covered. And now it's incredibly restrictive if you want to go ahead and use certain weapons in certain situations with, yeah, certain elements. And it's just, there is a variety point that needs to be put out there. I can understand that adding an entire new set of subclasses to the game is a huge commitment. But it really does make me hope that if they're going to address some of this sunsetting concern, that they should go ahead and put in more heavy weapons, more weapons that are generally lacking in variety in their archetype that have been sunset mm. as a way of compensating. Because right now, player choice is really stymied. Now, to your point as well, though, was it necessary? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's kind of what kills me, you know, because we much as destiny is a game where i'd love to explore every facet of it all the time we cannot get to the point at which call of duty has gotten you know like we can't get to the point where it now no longer fits on a 250 uh gigabyte ssd yeah you know like yeah. destiny was not that bad but it was seriously approaching that point you know i think you it was nearly 200 it was close right? it was to 200 i think yeah, it was between 150 and 170 i want to say but like you know at that point yeah, you, you took a game and you shaved off a lot of it. And so making that more... Yeah, just making that more effective in terms of people's hard drive space is, uh, is not necessarily a bad thing. I, I, I feel every argument with regards to sunsetting. Yeah. Um, I just sit here and I wonder what the solution would have been otherwise, and I don't see an easy one for Bungie. When you're taking people's loot away it's, it's never it's never gonna it's never gonna go down like well like there's always gonna be mm -hmm. a very large there's no easy way to take people's loot away or not take it away just make it irrelevant give it the little give it the little white stamp and just like nope you can't use that anymore mm -hmm. um on that you, you mentioned about the file size do we know what the um what the new how much has the file size been reduced you know off the top of your head god i want to say it's now under 100 cut? gigabytes um, if I'm remembering the patch install, I'd need... Actually, let me look this up on how Steam much was if it's axed. okay. Yeah, go for it. I'm curious to know how much, um, 
how much how many gigabytes did they just like axe out of the game i mean according to my steam the disk usage for destiny is now 56,490 megabytes which is 56 gigs hmm. so if that's true they shaved well over 100 gigs off the game is that the total um, thing on your hard drive how much it requires yeah that's wow. what it's telling me through steam's properties i don't know if that's including all of the files so hmm. i'll need to go ahead and see if i can find another thing for that but based on that alone uh that's incredible hmm. i'd need to yeah i really think that's got to be too small at that point it's probably somewhere like between larger. there and maybe 80 to 100. It's, yeah, yeah, I would imagine. have thought 82. I, uh, I'm, I'm mystified at that because I really did think it was about 80 off the top of my head. Mm. Like, at least I think I saw it downloading 80. But even so, yeah, it's been significantly sized down. And that's yeah. not a bad thing. You know? yeah. like, especially if we're looking to add more stuff in the future that will not only have staying power, but will also be... Mm. large in terms of its over things like destination sizes right destination sizes maybe um throwing in new content and activities on a regular basis with these seasons that's where i think we need to look for sunsetting to really show that it was worth it is here and in these future seasons you know like we've just come off the cut of it yeah and yeah so obviously we've experienced this huge loss now we need yeah. to see what they replace all of that yeah. lost content with you know, and yeah, a was, single release was not going to do all of it, basically. I was going to say exactly that. This is the wor this is the worst, like most harsh point to observe sunsetting because this is like we've just lost the most, and then over the next three years they're going to splice in the three expansions, and you know, by Lightfall will be the, it'll be a full wide game again. But right now it's like we've just lost almost everything, and we we and even the expansion isn't even fully rolled out yet, so it does seem like mm. we've lo lost a lot more. And that's another thing you're seeing a lot of the a lot of the complaints are around people kind of I think it's for the most part people ex people expecting how Destiny expansions used to be where they would just give you a mountain of content on day one and I think a mm -hmm. lot of people are expecting like where's all the content is this it like but realistically a lot of Beyond Light I mean it, ha it, it happened since Shadowkeep and since you know for a couple expansions but um, in this one especially the content is very much time gated and staggered time gate isn't the best word it's kind of got a negative connotation but staggered mm -hmm. it's especially the exotics it's not just like here's the new exotics they're all just chucked into the loot pool get them cool whatever yeah. like there's actual deterministic ways to get them most of them are time gated you've got sniper uh hawk mm -hmm. moon the raid exotic you've got they're all kind of spread like, out gradually which i think is a yeah, better plan the objective is different right like they've they've understood that there are people in this game, myself included, I'm very much guilty of this, who will power through all of the content as mm. early as they can. Yep. And their objective is to say, every week, regardless of what week it is, we're doing at least something that players can do which will keep them interested. Yeah. And sometimes that's just going to be, oh, you know, it's Iron Banner this week. Cool, whatever. Sometimes it's going to be a seasonal event starting like Festival of the Lost. Sometimes it's going to be an exotic quest. Sometimes, like this week, it will be an expansion drop. Other weeks it will be a raid or trials coming back. Mm. You know, like there will be things every single week coming back to this. And I think that's kind of. I feel as though that's the new expectation that players need to set. Is yes, yes absolutely agree. Will, yeah, like sometimes you will have those big drops. And if you're working your way through all of that and you finish it all, great, well done, GG. But be prepared to have something new dropping every single week so that there's a way of always coming back for something. Mm. And honestly, like I feel that is the best way to keep content delivery going. You know, like it's been tried and tested, and much as people will talk about how 
And this, I think, was a thing much more at the beginning of uh, last year, as opposed to the beginning of, well, maybe two years ago. Yeah, when the seasonal model really started to kick off. Mm. People sat there and they were saying that they preferred things such as, say, Curse of Osiris, Warmind, House of Wolves, Dark Below. And I, I said it before, and I'll say it again now, I think that's ludicrous. People don't remember how bad the content droughts were in Dark Below and House of Wolves. Oh, People no. do not remember what it was like waiting for weeks and weeks and weeks to do anything, something, something. Please, mm. just something, right? And mm. at the end of the day, this is a better system for the overall health of the game. You get a better way of telling stories because you can tell them over time. You can evolve them with the events of the season. Mm. You can allow players to gear up over a shorter period of time if they really want but allow them to naturally gear up over a longer period of the season keep Options. them from getting burned out you know it's i i genuinely do feel like this will be better yeah i, I think it's, it's um i think it's important just to note just to just to be aware of how bungie intends the game to be played i think um it's one thing i've just kind of adjusted how i play around that because instead of trying to just smash through all the content as fast as possible and just super grind, just speed through everything. I'm start starting to realize, not starting to, I have kind of the past year just realizing how um, when you play the game, how Bungie kind of intend it to be played. And Bungie, the main thing is that Bungie have shifted it back in most of Destiny 1 and probably a lot of the first year of Destiny 2, it was very much, they did cater a lot more towards the hardcore and there was massive amounts of content um, at once that you could just chew through but nowadays, it's a lot more... They definitely cater towards the more casual player. They've said it multiple times. They want you to be able to pick up Destiny and put it down. They've they've been mm -hmm. saying for... Bungie been saying themselves, Luke Smith, every, everyone from there has been saying for the past year or two, they want you to play the game a bit more casually. They've been saying it in indirect ways without saying it so bluntly. But that's the, the goal they're trying to get across. So I think what you're seeing, I mean... I've been looking at the entire reaction to Beyond Light, and it's, it's fascinating to see the different opinions of people. But I would say I would I would draw uh, there's a there's a connecting thread between all of the negativity that I've seen, and it comes from people who are trying to speed run the game, and uh, they're kind of approaching. I think not the wrong way because there's no right way to play a game, but I think they're going into it with the same expectation same expectation of destiny one where you could just speed through the game there was massive amounts of content it was very tall but then after it it would kind of fizzle out a little bit but the majority mm. of people i've seen so many people that are loving beyond light and they're just absolutely they think it's the best expansion ever they're the ones taking it slowly and the uh people that are saying they've only got maybe an hour or two to play a day or they only have maybe a weekend because they're working they're busy of course but mm -hmm. from what i've seen the general consensus a lot of people that are trying to speed through the game not just streamers, and obviously they, that's, that's always the, the general uh, saying about streamers speeding through, but I mean just hardcore players in general. From what I've seen, people that are trying to speed through the game and trying to just like smash it are not having as much of a fun time. Surprise, surprise. And people that are taking it slowly seem to, from what I've seen, seem to be have, have glowing reviews. So again, I think it goes back to how does Bungie intend the game to be played? And I think it's very clear that in 2020, Bungie is not designing the game to be played how it used to be in 2017 and 2014. Mm -hmm. And if you get on board, not saying you have to, but I think if you want to get the most enjoyment out of the game, um, try thinking about how Bungie is intending. Like you said, they've got the calendar, they've got the season of the hunt, they've got the raid, they've got trials, Iron Banner. If you kind of just look at it in that sense of terms of it's supposed to be spread out and staggered, I think 
I think that's personally the, the, the best way to have the most fun with Destiny, mm. I would say. And as a side note, uh, I think this is going to sound really odd, considering that this is coming from a guy who is an endgame player. Like, hi, one of the thousand Riven Jackets, if mm-hmm. I needed to prove my credentials as the guy beyond the law guy. But that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Let that sink in. It's good. 2018, uh, back when Riven was up on the docket and we were all grinding out so we could get ready for Last Wish, Destiny was at its most brutal in terms of grind. And it was back to the way that things were in the very beginning and it was hardcore, hardcore, hardcore from the very beginning, day one. Right? And there was so much that we all needed to get done. That was the content that burned me. And I literally took a break after this because it pushed me to my limit. Mm. You know, like I, I sat there and I tr- one day I tried making content and I just couldn't do it. Mm. I could not bring myself to make content. Now, there's a very similar gap in terms of the total light level you need between where you started the expansion and where you need to be for the raid. The difference is Bungie's made getting there a whole lot easier. The number of people who I've seen who do not need to play three characters mm. to get to the raid-ready light level is fantastic, you know? Like, Bob, in my raid team, he has just hit 230 base. He's going to be ready. He hasn't done all his powerfuls yet. Admittedly, he grinded a lot of competitive to get to where he is. But even so... He's been able to get all of that done on a single character, and they've given us a week and a half to get ready. And that means that it's a much friendlier grind. As mm-hmm. a result, combine that with contest, and I think that this day one is going to be the fairest day one with the most competitive teams out there that there have ever been. And mm. I think that's exactly where the raid should be. There are going to be teams that always rise to the top, but in this instance... I feel like they have taken all the previous lessons and done it correctly. And for those of you who are sitting there and playing it all the time and who are grinding it super hardcore, I'm actually with you there. And I have my own reason to do that because I want to make sure that I'm ready for any future content so that Mm -hmm. I can make videos on it more expediently. But it's okay to take a break is what I think the lesson here is. You know? This is a moment where we can say that there is a happy medium between the destiny has no content phases and the i have so much content i'm swimming up to it Mm. and i can't breathe Mm -hmm. you know like there is a happy medium and i think we are there basically and that's a very good place to be for an end game player so yeah i'm totally with you on this one andrew i'm totally with you yeah i think the the level grind as much as i'm as much as i'm not personally a fan of the just just the kind of how similar the level grind has been from it's pretty much the same in 2020 as it has been throughout destiny it hasn't hasn't changed much but i do think it's gotten a lot just more streamlined and more clean like i i would like to see the entire levelings it's, it's you know it's one of those destiny three too complicated things it'll probably never happen but i would like to see the level system kind of reimagined so it's not the same kind of grinding blues and then dumping your gear and infusing but that's just a nitpick. But I do think it's it's definitely worth noting the the level grind is a lot more streamlined than it was. Like you mentioned the um the last wish grind and being completely burnt out on that and absolutely the same. Like the just the RNG. The R I'm so like can can we just appreciate how mm. RNG has been not I mean pretty much mostly removed from the level grind. It used to be brutal. Like we're talking, yeah. we would do a raid team and there would be six of us. We would all and play this man the would exact... never get gloves. <laughs> <laughs> we, oh. but it's just like it's out of your control. And 
six of us could play the exact same amount of activities, the same amount of time, yet two of you, which is just how how probability works. Two of you will right. end up being significantly higher level because you just get lucky. Two of you will end up significantly lower because you'll get unlucky and you'll never get gloves. And some of you will probably end up around the middle. Um, and there's also the, the Oracle glitch which definitely messed up a lot of things. But it was just mm, the, it, it yeah. was frustrating knowing that you're putting in all this time and effort into a grind and it's kind of a dice roll what level you'll end up by the end of it. So that was extremely frustrating. And I appreciate that it's not there now. Like the, the level grind is simple. RNG is very fair. It's the, the game can tell when you're missing gloves or a rocket launcher, it will give you a drop. It doesn't seem like back in the day before, but pretty much mostly around um, Forsaken, you could just feel that like, oh, like I need this one item to be a level. Mm -hmm. And it You're was just... fighting against the one in It just wasn't... Bit, the game gave right? you no bone. But now it feels like that, that, that isn't there. That kind of that cruel RNG isn't there, which I guess that was a big part of Destiny Destiny Year One. But I'm glad it, I'm glad it doesn't exist. So while the leveling system isn't perfect, um, it is a lot more streamlined and I do massively appreciate that. It's just like, you know, it's... You got your gambit, your strikes, your crucible, you got your powerfuls, your pinnacles. It's kind of, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's streamlined. I like it. Mm, absolutely. Oh, How about been... the, um, the campaign, Eremis? Um, I have to admit, Eremis as a boss. Hit me wasn't... with your thoughts on this. I, I got to hear this first you want before to go first? I say anything. Yep. Yeah, go for it. Hit me. I mean, I personally, uh, the campaign, I mean, it's hard to say because, I'm, I'm not really too much of a fan on the idea of campaigns in Destiny full stop. I think they kind of, they don't represent the best that Destiny has to offer. And I get why Bungie does campaigns, but I don't think they're representative of the best parts of the expansion. And I think it gives the impression to the casual player that if you beat, once you beat Aramis, you've done beyond like, congrats, I completed it. Like, you know, most games, it's like you beat it, you do the campaign, you finish the boss, you want to be able to say you've done it. I just, I don't know, I, it's, it's part of me that's just a bit, like when you see Aramis being hyped up and teased for like five, six months, and then you know she's kind of being a pushover. I don't know, I never really got invested in her in the first place, but um, in terms of just the boss, I get why it's been done, but the campaign itself and the introduction to Europa, I thought was amazing. I thought the the Fallen, personally, the Fallen are my favorite race in Destiny, so I loved all the Elixir stuff. Um mm. But Aramis is a boss. Eh, I was never really sold on her, but it's, it's to be expected. She's campaign boss. It did feel a bit villain of the weeky, but um, yeah. And as this, you touch. Okay, that phrase touches on exactly what I was. Let gonna me know talk your about, thoughts. Right. What is the big difference between Aramis and Oryx? Um, Aside from all the you know superficial stuff, like oh, one is a hive god and the other one is a kale of house of darkness. Yeah, you know? the like, raid. What is the big difference? The raid. Oryx is obviously the raid boss, whereas Aramis. Kind of. I mean, it mixes it going? mixes into stuff, but it's it's vaguely the same pull on the same problem. Oryx has not just a um, an endpoint with the raid as well. You know, Oryx doesn't just have an outro. Oryx has an intro, which was the entirety of the Dark Below. You know, we mm. had prelude and mm. preamble yep. to Oryx's arrival that made it important, and it was all bound up really in a very clear act that we had done within the world of Destiny that gave them a clear reason to be here, a clear reason to hate us, a very clear motivation. Mm -hmm. And the thing is that Eremis feels like villain of the week to that extent mm -hmm. because we don't get that build up. Now, here's the thing. 
Yeah. We had the potential for that. And I think that Bungie could have done it if they had done more with Zero Hour. Because if Mm. you look at the structure and size of something like, say, Crota's End, you know, Crota's End is bigger, but the entire thing is not too different. Can you imagine for a second if we had fought, um, you know, if we'd fought Eremus's lieutenant that we kill in that mission, Mm. and then Mithrax comes to us and then actually for a second talks to us and pulls a recording off of the guy's body and it shows Eremis. And it's her explaining to them the importance of them recovering Siva and saying, we need to be able to bring our people back together. You know what happened to us in the whirlwind. This needs to be something that can reunite us. Otherwise, yeah. we're lost. That suddenly makes her more compelling as a villain because you understand why all of this was going on in the first place which is great for the mission on its own, but also when you then see Eremis having embraced darkness, you're like, oh, we drove her to do this. We made her do this. Mm. That's the preamble. Mm -hmm. And Villain of the Week characters feel like they're Villain of the Week characters because they don't have preamble. Mm -hmm. Now, take take that and compare it to, say, Nocris, which, you know, admittedly, when you saw them in Warmind, a lot of the lore there ended up being very thin and it was one of these moments where Nocris was just kind of a nod from the earlier Taken King campaign mm. however his Warmind stuff ends up being a preamble to where he ends up being in Season of the Arrivals and that ends up making the final fight with him in Season of Arrivals feel that much better because you have a history with this boss mm. now that's what I think a lot of the quote unquote villains of the week are missing you know and there's points at which Bungie really misses this you bringing up the raid for Oryx sort of solidifies again how they need a bigger three-act structure, so to speak, you know? Right. And it doesn't need to be that in the sense of a campaign um, leading to a raid or anything along those lines. It can be bigger and more overarching like that, you know? Like, if you take Nocris's story, the um, the ideal thing is maybe we got a little bit more lore on him in The Taken King, something along the lines of, you may not know more about the betrayer, says one hive as you kill them when you're trying to find out more about him, and ultimately they stop you from finding out more. Then Warmind happens. That's like some of the meat of the story, and then the outro is where you meet him in Arrivals. You know, Having a character that is a longer storyline is going to make it feel less fleshed out. And it makes me a little fearful for Savathun, but at the same time a little confident, because Savathun could fall into that same trap, but by that same token, she has had a lot of stuff addressing her. Mm. And I just really hope that they tighten the focus on her in this next year's worth of content. The Shivua Wrath stuff that they'll be doing this season sounds like it's promising and sounds like it could move in the right direction. But Mm. we need to know that we're going to get something pushing towards the point of Witch Queen a little bit later in the year, because otherwise it's going to feel a little bit disconnected. Mm. Arrivals is a great intro to Beyond Light. And it kind of helps make this, you know, a more tangible experience, if you get what I mean. We had all this prep leading up to it. But having something where you can understand the overarching story as a player, that I think really helps to sell the villain. I think the other challenge is this. You can't always do it in the seasons prior to this. And I understand that because some people just don't play them. So Bungie needs to make it feel like that central meat of the story, both in the you know, outside of the prelude and outside of the raid, just purely the campaign, Mm. has a concise, like, beginning, middle, end all of its own. So I understand the bind they're in, but if they want to make it so that these characters aren't your 
typical fair villain of the week, you know, you've got to be able to tell the full story over more than just the campaign. Mm. Sorry. Bit of a long wish no, rap. That's I, kind of where Aramis is for me. You know? That's that's exactly the point of the podcast. You can actually expand into detail. But that, <laughs> I, I, I completely agree. Selling the villain, I think, is important. And, you know, we can compare it to Oryx. I think Oryx was probably the best done because you, like, they... Like you said, they tease him in vanilla and then they mention him in mm. Dark Below and then you kill a son and then he's back and he's angry and taken king and then he's hyped up as the campaign boss. You kill him in the campaign, you actually get the kill, but then because of the actual law, which is makes sense, he isn't really dead and you have to go kill him in his throne world, really, which is the raid. And just the just the mm. order of that build up is that's why people celebrate the Taken King and Oryx so much because that was that's a year long villain plotline so well done. Um, Forsaken, another one almost perfectly done. You have um, getting revenge for Cade Six. You have chasing Aldrin and all the Barons through Tangled Shore, new destination. And once you get to the end of the campaign, you don't you realize actually... that Aldrin was just a pawn. Exactly. Right? You, you, exactly. You don't actually. You, you're curious why? Why is Aldrin the bad guy? And he is the main bad guy because he killed Gabe. We've got to get him. Um, although you don't even fight Aldrin, you fight the meatball. But once you beat the campaign of Forsaken, you end up realizing, oh, this is we've just scratched the surface. Aldrin isn't even. Aldrin is literally a pawn in this whole thing. There's the real. There's. It turns out there's a giant dragon in the whole Dreaming City, and we're in Endgame Destination. So that again, the build up was perfect. With Aramis, I, I wasn't invested to begin with because I just knew this is she's just going to be another ghoul, kind of trample her, and she's not going to be a real threat. But I don't know. There's a lot of just like talk about the darkness, and it, it, it her character wasn't that. Um, maybe just because I knew where it was going, I was just like, I don't know. I wasn't really threatened by. I, I said it in my video like Aramis and her band of dregs is is really not just that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 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 a lot more interested in like the 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 Clovis story, the Vex, the deep yeah. stuff, the Exo Stranger, and even the season of the Hunt, the season story. I think is I'm honestly really invested in that because I'm glad they're because previously what the, I mean last year the seasonal story was it was the Vex and their Undying the Mind the or the Moon and the Undying Mind wasn't yeah. that I mean it did do some times later on, but it wasn't that interesting. Um, the right. the Your Sundial main for that was basically Ikora. Right. Like, yeah, and her it. portal. Yeah, most no, useless portal yeah. ever. Uh, yeah, that. What? Well, yeah, that. That is. That's a good example of how, how, how much, how far the um, season storyline has come. A core and a portal and the undying. I well, didn't think it was that interesting. Um, season of the the sundial with Osiris. It was. Eh, it was getting there, and then season of dawn. I. I strong uh i strong disagree on that i think season of dawn was the peak of seasonal storytelling well in like, in what sense i mean i i was just regarding to just like the the, the gameplay of the sundial and where oh, i was going with oh, this real yeah, yeah, quick yeah, okay. was i mean yeah just the difference with now we've got aldrin the spider ziva arath and it's like this is much better to Akora and her portal. But I mean, I guess, what, what were we going to say about the, the sundial? What, what did I miss with that, I think? Oh, I mean, not the sundial itself. I'm still talking the, uh, story stuff with that. Dawn. I still think the best that it's the that? peak of story stuff. Not only the fact that you brought back Saint-14, but you truly explored the oh, mechanics yeah. of time travel and the Vex, right? Oh, you went back to ancient Mem uh, Mercury and you found out more about it. And when you went there, there's this bigger sense of 
when you step into the corridors of time, something is going to happen, which ends up being the Bastion mission, which takes you oh, to your yeah, own Oh, yeah, that way, was really good. You know? Like, people... The, the one thing I can fault the seasonal story of Season of Dawn for is that it doesn't connect to the overarching darkness theme of the year. But... As a standalone story that was told over a few months in Destiny, Season of Dawn knocks the rest of them out of the park. It Fair does enough. it brilliantly. And I thought that that was great, not only because it was carried by two strong characters, aka okay, Osiris and Saint-14, but also because they took some of the lore in the game that a lot of like lore maestros had known about and had been really focusing on and hoping would be brought front and center, and they made it accessible for players you know they made it so that these elements that we knew we would be interacting with were front and center and got displayed vividly for everybody mm. you know we knew we had to hand back the perfect paradox to saint 14 we knew that for some reason we would be their idol and their hope and we got a mission in which we did that and we became their idol and their hope and we handed them that shotgun and effectively we became a part of that character creation you know their their entire development as a guardian who is always striving to do more for their city and understands that they can do that because they've seen that reality, yeah, that that's all based on us. Immersing us in that story was brilliant. I, I really can't stop talking about how good that story was. And now you're right, yes. The, I think the, the second half of Season of Dawn, that was where it really kicked off, wasn't it? I think the first half maybe is what I'm thinking of was a lot more... I don't think much happened in the first half. It, it took like three weeks for it to kind of kick off but then you got saint 14 bastion uh perfect pa which perfect paradox is probably my most used weapon ever i've got a demolitionist i just i've mm. it's, it's the only weapon i use absolutely love the weapon season of dawn as much as um as much as like i think the like i said it before the the, the fractaline system that was loki one of my favorite like I, I really i really enjoyed that i don't know why i, I just really liked the whole Bounty, economy, materials, trading. I, I did kind of like their system. But um, yeah, dude, yeah, the second frogs. half of Dawn, I do remember that was quite good. I did enjoy that. Yeah. But, the, um, um, I'm, I'm with you, though, when it comes to what um, Season of the Hunt has the potential to be. Mm. And I completely I agree like it. because, yeah, like they've taken one of the most compelling story elements that came out of Forsaken and they basically said, hey, here's an entire season where you can get reintroduced to that. By the way, there's also some strong characters that look like they're on the periphery of this. Mm. Osiris, Zavala, Spider. And then, of course, Aldrin at the center of all of it, because mm -hmm. it seems like he's not just going to be the main character for it, but also the vendor. You know? The, Actually, the crow. looks, right? Yeah, the crow, yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's crow now. <laughs> he is the crow, yeah. Um, Which we said, by yeah. the way, I'm pretty sure on the last episode we were saying how... Croquet. But it, I mean, it, it, like, like I also said, we're not the only person to think of that. It's a lot of people have realized, hang on, this guy is becoming the crow, the, this, the character he used to be. But yeah, it, it happened exactly. I, I do like especially how, I like how the storylines weave. You've got, obviously in, you've got the Europa, all the billions, you've got Stranger and Drifter and Clovis Bray and everything happening on Europa. The, the entire world is on Europa right now. You've got the Europa storyline and that's obviously going to be peaking for Beyond Light. Then underneath it, you have the season of the hunt, Zivu, the crow, Aldrin, all that kind of stuff. But mm. right now, that's the underneath story. But then as the year goes on, that season of the hunt is going to lead into Witch Queen. So the story that's mm. currently second class is going to slowly weave around the entire year and become Witch Queen story. And then obviously the Clovis. So like the two storylines are going to kind of um, alternate throughout the year and then uh, yeah i just like how they're starting something now that's going to be relevant and lead directly into witch queen next year mm -hmm. makes Absolutely. a lot of sense 
If I might spare a word as well for what I think is probably one of the better aspects of it, I really liked how they did some of the stuff in the story for the Exo Stranger. I think that that's one of the high points for it, not just in terms of the background lore like the Dark Future lore book, which I won't talk about too much here, but if you've not read it, it's crazy. <laughs> Go do it. Read it. It's nuts. It's wonderful. What I is it exactly? It. I haven't read. Is it an in-game lore, lore book? It's an in-game lore book, yes. And basically it is um, what happened in the Exo Stranger's timeline. Mm, the dark the future timeline where of this the darkness other, won. Exactly. And this, it, it's full of absolutely incredible stuff. And it's effectively take all of the gravitas of any of the events that Callus speculated might happen in the future mm. that he write, his scribes write about in the Chronicon and make it and, and basically say, yeah, all of these things happened in my timeline. They were real, you know, and it gives you this really stark contrast to what you're doing now. But better than that, I think there's these missions that you will go on where you'll be looking up uh, Clovis Bray's journal um, with Elsie and you'll that be exploring various lost sectors, right? And, uh, you know, the skeleton key missions, I think, is what they're best called, because that's what you use to actually unlock them. Yeah, those are fantastic, because you get interactions with Elsie, and she gives you all of this depth about herself and her past life. And then you even get to see Elsie reunite with Anna for a second, and it's not... I heard about that, you know, yeah. A, li a little bit of a spoiler alert, but it's not exactly the most harmonious moment in the world, you know? I would imagine. Effectively, it, you know, it's Anna realizing, for starters, that, you know... The sister that she might have read or heard about, thanks to whatever information about herself that she had on herself when she resurrected. Yeah, she's still alive, but it's not really her, it's her from another timeline. Oh, by the way, your father, or grandfather rather, was a terrible human a wild being. wild dude. Wild, completely wild and utterly dude. mad scientist. Um, having no morality, I, I'd say very much narcissistic personality disorder might be somewhere in to there. To say the least. <laughs> it's the know, least of like, his problems. He calls himself the Luca, which is to say, um, like, the last effectively common like ancestor. a last common ancestor, except he says he will be the Luca for all of the future of humanity, which, yeah. I mean, okay, cool there, bud. That's very humble. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then also, to top it all off, Elsie is having to tell Anna that there is now a very important part of wielding the darkness that she kept her from in previous timelines and it didn't work and Anna embraced it full full force and now she's basically dropping all of this on someone and you could take any one of those stories and it would be you know a crazy emotional day and Anna reacts I think in the most human way possible which is I need time. I don't know what to think about this. And she just leaves and Elsie's like, no, I'd need to... Uh. And it's it's so, it's a brilliantly crafted moment because it feels very real, mm -hmm. you know? Like, Anna has all of the power of a guardian at her disposal, but she is still very much confronted by these real problems that Elsie is putting forward to her that some of them are not at all... Um, empathetic if you get what i mean like mm -hmm. we can't empathize with oh you know you need to wield the darkness because in previous timelines i stopped you from doing it and you became a mad guardian or something but something like your grandfather is not the kind of kind-hearted person is not the kind of great engineer or visionary that you thought that he was yeah stuff like that really can hit home it can be quite understandable for a lot of people so yeah Bravo to whoever wrote those moments, and bravo to the voice actresses who brought them to life, because 
fantastic stuff. I, I really did like this. This was a, a, you know, for me, they are the stars of this expansion alongside Varix, who, I mean, can Varix? Oh, I'm allowed to swear on this, aren't I? Okay, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, Varix is also very good. I feel like he's kind of the, um, obviously he's the foil to Eremis, but I feel like he's the stronger character, not just because we've known him, but also because there's a lot more about why he acts that becomes a lot more clear, you know? His motives. It's Yeah, there's a lot of... One, okay, moment in particular. Um, Dark Priestess mission, after the encounter. Um, Critis, uh, who is the fallen that you're hunting at the moment, the Dark Priestess, says over the mass fallen comms, basically, that she has found a way to resurrect or to revive Eremis. And the Fallen have this thing where they refer to them as Eremis Kel, mm. right? And at one point when Varix hears that Eremis might get resurrected, he says, if she finds a way to bring back Eremis Kel, uh, excuse me, Eremis, dot, dot, dot. And it's one of these moments of like, Disrespect. I kind of see the sort of shifting allegiances again, because this is kind of what Varix does. Yes, he is trustworthy to a certain extent, but he has betrayed a lot of people. To get where he is. He's betrayed Scolas. He then betrayed Mara. And you know Petra effectively. By extension of all of this. He has then betrayed Aramis. And it's just this constant. Bouncing back and forth of loyalties. And you understand why though. You know it's for him. It seems very clear that his main priority. Is the survival of his people. Mm -hmm. And if he sits there and he sees a leader. That can unify them. He believes that's their best chance. Of actually making it out alive. And so, he yeah, that's, currently yeah. believes that is Mithrax, right? He's Varix is trying to get Mithrax to be the new Kel. Mm -hmm. Or new to, Kel to, to take over the... I mean, there's kind of a weird split in the Fallen. They've um, kind of gone the way you'd expect them to go. You've got all the remaining evil ones tried to go with Eremis and House of Salvation. And then Varix is kind of making all the others friendly. I think they're going to join forces and even said it towards the end of the campaign how they're basically going to be allies we're going to be fighting together there's always the, mm -hmm. the the pipe dream of for any fallen playable fallen maybe that'll be a, a, a lightful thing who knows um i totally I, think that's a seasonal story that they'll flesh that out entirely i, I really do think i yeah. i did want to touch on the you mentioned clovis bray that is how ha, have you read both of the both parts of the journal I am part way through reading it, I will admit. I only managed to get a certain portion through. You can see where I vaguely stopped. It's a long pages. journal. It's a but it's a lot of text, a lot of literature. I, I've also read summaries of parts of it, and yeah. uh, I won't go into too much detail, but from what we can tell already, oh my god, Clovis Bray is a character that we will be talking about for years, and it makes me so glad that we saw all of this expanded on. Ultimately... He may be one of the best written characters alongside characters, and it'll be amazing to hear some people say this, like Marasov mm -hmm. and like Oryx. I would absolutely Clovis agree. Is up there now. Like this this book is one thing, but all the lore that we're getting in the game from the Exo Stranger, who will just give us the little bits of dialogue. And also all of the um all of the stuff that is being written in the in-game lore books that we'll see as well. Yeah, phenomenal, fantastic. I, I really do feel like that's going to be where the future of the kind of key villains lies as well, is in these kind of like big overarching stories behind them. That mm. makes them 
really quite compelling. Now, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I just have no end of good things to say about what they've done with Clovis Bray's story. I wholeheart, I, I would hands down say this Clovis Bray story is one of the best told stories I have ever seen in Destiny. Like, I think, again, I would put on the same level as, I don't know, um, I mean, again, it's hard to compare. I, I don't even want to compare because I, I genuinely think the, just the dark kind of science nature to this, especially grabbed me, um, the bioengineering, the crazy dictator level madman psychopath that Clovis Bray is. We've seen the name Clovis Bray for many, many years. Mm -hmm. We've seen the company and now finally getting, and we've known Exos. We've never actually known the the, Much about them, right? the massive detail. We've known there's there's a thing called the Deepstone Crypt. We don't know anything else. But mm -hmm. the way that Bungie have tied together the Deepstone Crypt and the way they've tied together all of these storylines, I am very impressed. And obviously, we know that they didn't they didn't deliberately uh, intend for all of them. There's definitely they left a lot of um, how Bungie do things. They leave a lot of open ends, and then later on, they find very clever ways to tie them up. So it almost seems like they had the kind of this this perfect plan from the start, but you can't really tell the difference because it does seem like the way and and there's so much more that we won't talk about spoiler spoiler level stuff about mm -hmm. like Clovis that we'll see in future weeks. But from what we've seen so far, the first part of the journal, it's hands down one of the best written stories. It's actually written by the same guy that wrote um, the Taken King, uh, the 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 Books of Sorrows. Uh, mm -hmm. I think Maracena. Seth Do Dickinson. You know? Seth Dickinson. Yeah. Oh, wait, well, okay. So Mara Senna is two... Di so that's two different uh, writers. If I'm not mistaken, um, Mara Senna uh, is written by someone different from Seth Dickinson. Okay. I want to say that's true. I I'm know... pretty sure it is, because I think it was Mallory who was working at Bungie who wrote that. All um, I know is that... Um, yeah, Seth Dickinson was the name that I saw for the... Yeah, it's just a massive list of the best told story, best told uh, Destiny stories. He's like an actual sci-fi. He writes novels and books, and clearly, yes. I don't know how his mind works, but just reading the Clovis Bray lore, it's. I I said it in a video that I made. I wish Bungie would make like um, short films, animations, little cutscenes, even if they were like like the cheaper ones, like the you know the Elixir, the Whirlwind cutscene we got, which was mm -hmm, right. it's more of the two D print one. If if Bungie did a little cutscene, explain where um, a cutscene based off of uh, the Clovis Bray's journal, and they uploaded that before Beyond Light, I think people would get so much more excited for the expansion and really know mm. who Clovis Bray is. But again, like I said, not many people are going to read through the trillion pages of the part one in the journal and there's also the missing pages which is also very very long and then there's a ton more there's just there's so much good lore buried in pages and it's a uh, that's what people like you are here for to to, to explain yeah, it condense I mean, it in beautiful it, videos it, but it's a shame that they'll never read it but i mean i guess that's what i guess they could just watch videos <laughs> it's just forcing everyone to go to your channel if you want to know this <laughs> stuff you have to go to my name is Bife. But there is, like, the Clovis Bray story, I mean, because I'm really into science and biology and all this kind of, every topic in the Clovis Bray journal was definitely, I, I just found fascinating. Even the, um, like, how the, the, the they built a Dyson Swarm around the Forge Star and how they're harnessing mm -hmm. it for energy. Just the concept mm -hmm. around putting a human mind in a robot body and how to make it work and then explaining how that ties into the Exos who have seen for a long time. 
then explain what Deep Stone Crypt was. Yeah, I thought it was just yeah. one of the best stories. Uh, it is Book of Sorrows level mm. of unbelievable story, and I wish it was I wish it was visualized because again, I as a, a as an avid uh, as someone with an avid interest in this stuff uh, trawled through these massive journals, but most people aren't going to do that, and I wish most people could experience the kind of the kind of story that is buried in these journals. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I gotta say this too, I love that a lot of it immediately relates to the story in Europa. You know that portal at the end of the Glassway mm -hmm. strike? Yeah, that's very much mentioned in the book, and yep. it's very important, and yep. there's very much a reason why all of that radiolarian fluid ends up getting collected. And for those of you who have not read the journal, I'm not gonna go too much into detail, but let's just say that you're gonna hear a lot about the term clarity control, mm. and that will be important. There's also, I think, especially with those two pages that were discovered, that if you have the physical edition, I'll ripped out at the end. Yeah. I don't know if you can see that. But yeah, that's important. And that's um, almost the bigger... And it may that, be very important for the raid coming up soon. So, from yeah. what I've seen, the stuff in the in the missing pages is even bigger than the first half of the page. And again, this is even before the raid. What I'm saying is just that there is a massive amount of... This, this, this definitely it reminds me of Forsaken in the sense that there's just so much law to dig through and again i'll be sitting patiently waiting for you to upload your videos to explain a bunch <laughs> of this stuff but there is so much like story which is it's good that it exists but again i wish it wasn't buried and uh, so difficult to obtain because i think a lot of people would be would be blown away by the stuff if they if they uh, if they're able to easily access it easily easily access it you know in game with some cutscenes, and i think the community would get a lot more hyped if they could you know if if they could understand just how much of a crazy madman that clovis bray is but yeah, he's mm. a yeah, he's a wild dude. <laughs> no question. This is gonna be some of the best lore for the expansions that have been released in a while. And we haven't even got a hold of all of the different lore books yet. As a mm. lot. We we still have a lot to explore. And the Exo Stranger as well. They had a very mm, tough yeah. it was it's it's quite a tall order to tie that in and to make that make sense because she's been just the biggest like bait meme. for the entire Destiny franchise, it's she was meme. <laughs> shown off as as an interesting character, and then oh, no time to explain. See her, and he's gone. They even made a they even made a meme gun about it. No time to explain. Um, it's just become part of Destiny culture at this point. But for the, for them to actually bring her back and say make a big deal out of it again, they've done it very well and tying it into Clovis Bray and Europa, it all it all makes a lot of sense. It, it, it's it's all again it almost gives the impression that bungie had planned this from day one in 2014 but um i don't know however they do it that they are doing a good job of tying these the very messy spaghetti storylines into one coherent coherent kind of narrative i'd say hmm. before anything uh ends up i feel like we've got to at least mention crucible right I actually haven't played yet. I've been avoiding it, but I've oh, been hearing tons man. and I'm very aware of what's been going on in there. I am very oh, aware. Dude. And it's because I'm aware that I haven't stepped in yet, I'm afraid. <laughs> but uh, Oh boy. Yeah. Um, stasis day one was bad, but as things have gone on, things have gotten um, measurably crazier. Uh, hmm. I, I, I feel like it's the bound. biggest conversation to come from this like, you know, there's all the different things that are imbalanced. I could talk about, you know, how long stasis freeze lasts. The fact that it's basically you get frozen and there's like a 90% chance that you die. Um, the fact that you take the damage when you break out of it, even if that's bound to resilience. Yeah. 
there's a lot that um, is problematic with stasis. I think the biggest um, basically question and the biggest debate that has arisen from all of this is going to be whether the Crucible needs to be balanced separately from the rest of the game. And mm -hmm. as a result, maybe even needs to just be a completely separated mode, you know, where it has, um, you know, completely different uh, conditions under which players play. Yeah. And the big sides to this, there's obviously the guys who believe that this should be the case, and there's the uh, guys who believe that it should be one unified experience. And... Yeah, there has never been a bigger argument for separating the PvE and PvP sides of the game. Yes. And, yeah, I, I I struggle to see how they can begin to balance stasis just because it is so powerful compared to the other elements. Yeah, you know? it adds a lot I, of variables. Yeah. Like, I bet you that 90% of Warlocks right now, are, if they have it, are playing stasis. And that's just because everything about the subclass is so strong. The three grenades that you get, all of them in their own different ways, are incredibly powerful. Cold snaps can freeze people around corners and seek straight to them. Dusk field grenades can pull you out of cover. Glacier grenades have great utility for not just blocking things off, but can also, if they're placed perfectly, just freeze a player as well. The melee is a portable freeze, basically, which you can just aim at people. It's kind of like Top Tree Dawn's Celestial Fire, where you throw the flaming spaghetti at people, except... Yeah, now it freezes you, which is arguably worse. <laughs> you can catch multiple people in one freeze. I've caught two people in a single freeze and killed them and a buddy who was too close to them because I detonated them and the explosion does damage to nearby players. And yeah, then there's the super, which is basically the perfect counter to any other roaming super, including really fast stuff like Top Tree Dawn. You hit them once, they're frozen, and then it just takes a quick follow-up and they're completely done. Mm. The melee... And the grenades can freeze supers. Which means sometimes I'll see a Spectral Blade or a Fist of Havoc and I just like throw my staff out and shotgun the guy and he's mm. dead. And it's, it's projectile. Just... You can do it from range. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's I, I have never seen something that has utterly changed the Crucible like this. And I'm, I am personally sitting on all of the crutches you know like I, I'm, lo I'm loving my time you know I, uh, I I'm going double freeze melee with claws of ahamkara I'm breaking people out of their supers I'm using shade binder to counter everything it's I mean <laughs> yeah uh stasis will be a thing it's and it messy. is definitely that strong argument for yeah it's definitely that strong argument for basically cutting away the PvE and PvP sections of the game from each other. And I'm actually really fascinated to hear what the community's consensus on that is. Because, yeah, it's it's getting to that point where the PvE side of Stasis is so much fun, and yet the PvP side of it is so frustrating that it would be spot hard on. not to ruin one without ruining the other. Yeah, spot I, in fact, I literally, I, I, I've seen several posts and tweets a couple hours ago of people saying, I really hope when they inevitably nerf these just the craziness that stasis is in crucible i hope that it doesn't uh also go into pve that's yeah that's mm -hmm. that's been overwhelmingly bungie haven't even announced anything yet but people are already fearing i really hope when again because it's not a case of if it's when they nerf this uh the the, the crucible stasis shenanigans 
is uh is is the PVE gonna get the brunt of it as well? I mean, I really hope not. I I I I would like to imagine that Bungie is aware of how any is aware of how much the fun of stasis could be ruined if they you know just have that kind of broad 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 sweeping brush and they end up completely nothing, nerfing it in PVE because of PvP. Right. I I don't know. I mean. We have nothing to go off. We don't know how they're going to do it. But I, I, I have faith that hopefully PVE doesn't suffer because we've seen it so many times and people have been asking, like, what you've been saying about separate balancing, that is, you know, people have been asking that for such a long time. And I guess it's a game engine thing. There's probably some um, some engineering reasons for it. But let's hope that PVE doesn't suffer because, like you said, Stasis is very fun, probably some of the most fun gameplay loops in PVE right now, and it makes PVE really good. Um, but in PvP, it's um, it's 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 just strange. I mean, I'm pretty sure we said in a previous episode how you know it, it sounds good in PvE, but in PvP, not sure how the idea of being frozen when you're trying to capture a flag sounds to um, sounds appealing. And honestly, I'm yeah, I, I I didn't actually expect stasis to be as powerful as it what as it is in pvp i expected like it's probably not gonna be that bad you bring it frozen for a second you break out but I, I didn't expect it to be as strong as it is stasis is very strong and very noticeable especially the wall building as well um right there's huge utilities of that you know yeah it's uh you can break through it but you throw up a titan barricade and then throw up a glacier grenade and suddenly you know you're very safe to claim that heavy ammo you're mm. very safe to claim that revive very tactical like, very tactical yeah that i do enjoy about it is mm. uh, some of the kit really does add a fantastic element to the game. And I feel like some of the slow elements are things that we've dealt with before and aren't so bad. So if Dusk Field grenades didn't pull you out of cover, I'd say that they were very balanced. Because um, the slow is still very powerful. Having said all of that, uh, yeah, the rest of the freeze stuff is a big question mark, and I do feel like something needs to be done about it. Um, yeah, I just... I. I I don't know what they do, but I, I hope that they're able to separate how it interacts with combatants, aka enemies in the game, mm. versus how it interacts with guardians. That's mm. my that's my prayer. That's my hope. You know, if my staff slowed instead of froze, I'd be very okay with that change. If it was only to guardians, you know, like don't reduce its power in PVE. Like we, we're really enjoying this, and we hope other subclasses become this powerful. And it is, yep. I've seen that's actually the biggest piece of feedback is to bring solar arc and void up to the level where stasis is and to give them the same kind of level of build complexity in pve and to remake it so that they have fragments and they have aspects and they have different um adjustments and that their intrinsic elements to their um, subclass are more pronounced so for mm. example with um void more of a focus on suppressing enemies and with yeah. solar more of a focus on damage over time abilities or healing and with arc a big burst focus effects, on AOE. burst effects and yeah. AOE damage. And chain yeah. lightning, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, all of this stuff I've heard people really want, and I totally see how it could work out, because it would really nicely balance the game in terms of its PvE sandbox if they're making Guardians this powerful, you know? I just really hope that they don't staple stasis to the floor, because PvP is something that the game is also running off of. That would be a huge mistake. And I, I really do feel like if they're trying to care about the entirety of their game, now might be the time to separate the two. You know, yep. like this is the time to pull them apart and say, we're working out different balancing for them entirely. And I know that sucks for some people, but 
I feel like it's just better for each respective side of the game if it's balanced independently. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, hit the nail on the head. I think it's one of those one of those cases where I don't envy the um, sandbox designers that have the job of trying to fix this stuff because, like I said, the reasons why stasis is so good in PvE is also the reasons why, like, you can't make stasis really good and amazing when you can't, but they'll they'll have to try mm. and figure out. Yeah. To make stasis really good and powerful and the way it is currently in PvE, it's just PvP and PvE, they're just so different. And it's just, it's, it's another example of just how the development is just... Destiny's a complicated game and the Crucible <laughs> adds so many yeah. more variables that like, you know, you want to add these abilities where you can build walls and freeze and slow and it's cool. But then you add that onto Crucible and it's like, hmm, how does this work? How is this balanced? I mean, the Crucible to me is um, it's kind of very reminiscent of like Modern Warfare 2, I would say. It's very <laughs> much just craziness. Don't take it too seriously. Don't think it's that competitive. And again, I that's kind of beyond just opinion i think bungie would also say and it's kind of evident that bungie isn't designing crucible to be super competitive they they've kind of the ship has sailed it's 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 a uh, more arcadey fun there's abilities it's not as um yeah it's not a competitive shooter and bungie's never really tried to make it they've always they've always uh had one for in one for out and I think now, especially with Stasis, it's kind of clear it's Crucible isn't isn't to be taken too seriously. Um, it's there's a lot of craziness and what we've seen with the pinnacles and the mountain top. It's there's a lot of craziness. It's kind of Modern Warfare 2 level where there's just so much powerful stuff, so many things that can one hit you. And now there's wall building, and now there's you mm -hmm. can get frozen and uh, and memed on. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, I uh, <laughs> I just really hope they do the right choice. I hope they make a good decision on this one, man. But they've got a lot on their hands. I mean, they've already been... There have been a ton of, uh, like, uh, bug fixes, maintenance, things being disabled and taken out of the game. Um, I know a lot of the... A lot of the Crucible maps I saw don't have... They can basically be exploited by building walls, which, I'm again, I'm surprised how easy it is, but you would think that they had prepared for us but you can i've seen a million clips of people just throwing a safe grenade at a wall build a wall and then you can just jump an inch get out of the map and i think that's probably why trials has been delayed by two weeks it's been pretty much cancelled and pushed back so there's a lot of uh issues so rightfully so they've pushed back trials a little bit but yeah they disabled a bunch of weapons what is it wither hordes disabled with horde. yep because it's got um, a dot that's the rose as well because it's um they, it didn't change archetype properly like they wanted it to yep mm -hmm. um, yeah, it stated a 150 hand cannon which it was not supposed to it's funny how they can do that they can yeah. just disable stuff they can just like oh the uh the moon bounties that was it was discovered i mean well it was discovered <laughs> the, uh, the the lost sector on the edz which is now yeah that's not been too. disabled but it's been reverted to what its loot changes should be yeah just, i mean oh, <laughs> it's yeah, I mean, sometimes it's Bungie kind of the, it's 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 the no fun hammer. It's the, it's the, when you find a, well, I guess it's fr from our perspective, it's the no fun hammer. From their perspective, it's the, the exploits. Don't break the economy hammer. Breaking right. the economy. But, I mean, it was weird because the, the, the repeatable bounties, it was, it was discovered that the moon repeatable bounties give, what, like triple XP. But then yeah, Bungie... Yeah, previously they gave 3,000. Now they gave 11, well, they used to give 11,000 after yeah. they... A massive amount. 
But then Bungie, like within like, what, like an hour or two, very quickly, just yeah. straight up, they just removed the bounty from the game, which is, hilar was, which is hilarious that Bungie can do that. I think it was Asdacross who published a video on it, and 30 minutes later there was a Bungie tweet, and it was like, It was so quick. Well, <laughs> but it's funny because, are. again, as Destiny 1 players, we come from a time where Bungie couldn't do that. When there were exploits, <laughs> they were stuck in the game, and Bungie, they didn't have the power. But now in, in 2020... Bungie can just remove a, a, a bounty from an inventory so that but, but Bungie too powerful, man. They can just they can just remove stuff way too quickly. <laughs> OP. Do you remember the days when we could just pull the land cable on a raid boss? Because I certainly <laughs> do, and let me freaking tell you. I just think Oryx is so mad. Be glorious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bungie oh, were kind of I mean, it's about the the control of their engine. They they didn't have a they didn't have the tools and the control of the engine they have now. Whereas now, if there's something broken to our benefit or not, mostly anything that's to our benefit, anything that's you know, going to get us to level up quickly and maybe save us some time, Bungie will just remove that so quickly. But mm -hmm. it, it was weird yeah. because they removed the the moon repeatable bounties, but it turns out, I think all, not all, uh, there's, I think Varix um, and Banshee and a couple other characters, their repeatable bounties also give triple. So I don't know if Bungie, have, they're, they're, they're probably, I'm sure, going to figure out as well, but the Banshee bounties give triple as well. So there's, there's a lot more holes to fix um i mean the the wow. farming the farming method that i used was the the hellmouth which I, I can't even tell what's an exploit and what's a farm these days like what's the difference just an efficient way to level mm -hmm. up it, it it felt is it where you bounce back and forth between the uh yeah you basically just hang the around the hellmouth the you kill trove the trove guardian, guardian um the ogre nightmare thing abomination on the bottom and there's roaming there's roaming uh high value roaming targets uh, public events you just it is it, it's definitely definitely not an exploit or anything you just hang around you just literally do public events and um high value targets that appear and they obviously drop at light level blues but i mean they nerfed the edz lost sector because i guess it dropped a little bit over but yeah what, I was mean, it really that, one I, that I one i get because it was dropping stuff that was putting you up above soft cap every time you killed the boss it guaranteed a legendary drop every single time and oh yeah, because he was a uh, like nightmare, you know, I think, or a wanted enemy. Uh, yes, it was an. I like the theory that we had when myself and Bob looked at it was that it was a nightmare, but it was also technically what used to be a wanted enemy, and that potentially yeah. the two of them stacked. Now there's a ton of those in the game, so I feel like yeah, like in the Hellmouth, they're, they're, they're similar. I think that right, I think like, the ogre maybe might be. that's maybe that's ignoring them, but even so, like. Uh, yeah, whatever it was, every single time it got killed, Legendary dropped from it. Mm. And you could see the potential for that to be a bit of a crazy farm because I got it like while I was doing a little bit of that because we needed to do it so we could get some stuff done for soft cap. I got a couple of Legendaries that were God Rolls and I still got them. I like, I kept them, you know, like there is a genuine valid economy reason for not having that in there. So, you know, I used it while I could and uh, yeah, you know, it's fine. Yeah, the first Bungie week's always, is very um, generous with that. That's what you say. They, I was going to say also, Bungie is very generous with that. They're not like um, I think it was Ubisoft Massive who saw players exploiting in a raid, and it was not. It, again, it's not like a bug. It was basically something similar to what we had with this soft cap thing, and they did something to the players' accounts. They basically gave them soft bans, I believe, or something. It's just like thankfully Bungie is not as yeah, egregious never been when about it comes that. to their stuff, like. You know, I think their policy has very consistently been: if you find something, we'll fix it. Enjoy it while it's there, basically. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, like, with the exception of hacking, which you know, whatever. It's, yeah, yeah. 
yeah, they've always been pretty um pretty fair with that kind of stuff. But as expected, it's been a um I mean, it's probably about normal as far as as far as launch weeks go for expansions. There's <laughs> ser there's server downtime, there's server queues. Like would it be the a chickens. destiny expansion if you could play it when it launched? Right, really? Mm -hmm. Right, like we this... had the uh, Tapirs of Rise of Iron for yep. the server queues. This time we have the Chickens of Beyond Light. Um, instead of Shadow Queue, it was Beyond Launch. That was the meme this time. Yeah, the Shadow like... Keep one was was uh, was something else. I think that was because it was on. They, they was, I guess it was what like free to play, and it was on. What else was changed? I think they changed quite a bit. They about moved it. it to Steam. Yes, they moved to Steam as well. Yeah, there's a lot of um, a lot of technical issues, but this one was. Uh, I think it was about normal. The um, the traveler event went off pretty smoothly. What did you think about the uh, the travelers? Actually, it, it did something for the second time in Destiny history. It it did nothing <laughs> in Destiny one. It did nothing. It was just a white ball in the sky. And then at the beginning of Destiny two, Gaul obviously put it in a cage, and then it broke out. And then it continues to do absolutely nothing for another three years. And now the pyramids showed up, it's healed again, and now it's still doing nothing for <laughs> assume, assuming that it's going to do nothing for the next three years until lightfall. But uh, the traveler is it, it, it did something, I guess. Mm -hmm. And uh, we will now wait and see for another few years to see if it does something else. But I think <laughs> it, it represents kind of like the closing of an age, right? Like that we go through these three year periods of destiny, you know, destiny one. Um, at the end of that, with the end of the D2 vanilla campaign, that was the kind of end of that era, so to speak. Mm. And then all the way up until this, the Traveler healing itself now, end of that other era that we had from Destiny 2 vanilla all the way to the end of Shadowkeep. You know, like this is now at the third era of Destiny. Yeah. We're in this new age and it's a scary new place. It's a very exciting time to be a Destiny player, I think. I mean, I for one, um, I have no allegiance to the Traveler. The second the Pyramid showed up Ooh. with Ruinous Effigy, I was sold. And they've got new subclasses. What has the Traveler got? Has the Traveler got new subclasses? Didn't think so. Stuff? So no? Okay, all right then. <laughs> uh, and, and, until the Traveler gives me some cool new loot, I'm uh, I'm darkness all the way right now. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like, just based purely on the power of stasis, I'm going to be looking towards that balance of a little bit of both, you know? I could occasionally be convinced to run Well of Radiance, but uh, let me tell you, um, that meme that I never thought would happen of um, I'm ending my friendship with Well of Radiance, Stasis is now my best friend. Like, it happened. <laughs> I, I freaking love my solo warlock. Like, it's been my it's been my identity for six years, and Stasis kind of stole it away. I've never so, seen yeah. you play on anything else but a solo warlock. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, Stasis has very dramatically changed that. Ooh, it's been a good time. It's been a very good time. Yeah, the Warlock, um, I do quite like the Warlock, uh, the Warlock Super, how it's just, it's a bit more creative. You get to freeze them and then stun them. It's just cool um, being able to do the combo instead of just a basic attack. It's, uh, I like the, I just like the, the, the way it can interact with all the other different types of freezing them, slowing them, and you can just combine the staff as... Yeah, there's a lot of um, a lot of synergy, as you would say, for the stasis. Yeah, so I'm it's, big fan it's of a that. real. I think it's a really well built one too, because you can actually do each component separately, and they interact with other players' use of stasis. So if a random warlock 
uses their staff melee to freeze someone, and I use the detonation, that detonation also kills more than just what I've frozen mm. with my super. You know, like, there's really good synergy with that super and what it's trying to do with each of its respective parts. I, th I feel like it's got a very cool kind of way of mixing the two together and then splitting the utility. Nice pun there. Yeah. Did you wait, intend what that? My... <laughs> you I did not intend... Wait, what did <laughs> I even it's, say? You said it's got a very cool... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, not intended. Not intended, but... Clearly. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll run with it. <laughs> Clearly great puns. Mm. But um, yeah, no, Europa, I'm very impressed with it. As, as, as a destination, it's one of my... Like, it, it feels significantly... Obviously, the two aren't really comparable, but it feels significantly different to Shadowkeep, where you can tell we've got a new location, new subclasses. There's there, there's new stuff again. If you try and try and kind of front load the expansion and dig through as fast as possible, I think as we've as we've mentioned, it's designed to be a little bit more staggered. But I think if you just take it piece by piece, Europa is there's there's lots we found there. There's a lot of areas that are still like the entire what is it the creation area is is like we haven't even been there I, yet which i presume is going to be for the raid yeah and yeah i'm just not i'm not even touching that i don't want to go near any leaks or anything like that i'm I want to be totally unspoiled when i get in there there's there's a lot of unused stuff on europa there's the um the beyond area as well is a massive open area so i think mm -hmm, there's a lot right. of a lot I'd love to see them do something aside from just like having the Exo Stranger and the Ziggurat there, you know? Yeah. You have a I literal massive open plane. They can do whatever they want. I think they are going to do something because it is uh, like a combat zone. It's it's very it's very suspect, the area. It's very suspicious. Mm. I, I'm pretty sure they, um, like, I think they'll have a lot of like pyramid type. And it's, it's right in front of where the pyramids, where the pyramid is and the, the Ziggurat. Love, love that name. Love the word. Mm. The ziggurat. They've got the theming of the darkness stuff down on point, I think, for a lot of the things they've done. Yeah, it's very well done. What do you think about the uh, so what do you think about the Twitch DMCA situation? As a YouTuber, you've dabbled in a little bit of Twitch, obviously you're very <laughs> familiar, but I think um, I mean I've got some opinions that are probably different to a lot of streamers, obviously, because I'm a YouTuber and we have a very different perspective, but it's a it's a messy situation, something I never yeah. expected to happen. Well, not entirely true. I did, I didn't expect it to happen, but I was, to be honest, completely, I was very confused how it didn't happen sooner. Again, as a YouTuber, mm -hmm. we're very familiar with copyright and the copyright system on YouTube is like, what Twitch is going through now YouTube that went YouTube through in, I believe, ago, right? 2010, I think. I remember there was a point where, I think it might have been like 2009, 2010, where there was this massive copyright wave and they basically implemented the copyright system into YouTube and everyone had to just stop using copyrighted music. And that was the point where if you want to monetize your videos, you can't use copyright. Mm -hmm. um, Twitch, for some reason, I mean, I noticed it a lot more this year when I was setting up my stream and just figuring everything out and kind of getting everything how I want it to be. When I was approaching music, I was obviously knowing that I can't use any copyrighted music. I was thinking, what music can I use? It is quite difficult. And I did did take quite a while. But my, my first couple sets of streams, I got like five or six copyright claims, even using non-copyrighted non music, mm -hmm. very quiet in the background. Still got picked up, but it is to be expected. But the whole time, I was always thinking, how can Twitch streamers get away with streaming copyrighted music? This doesn't make any sense. This is... 
like they just get to mute the vods and they kind of get away with it this this seems like because i'm very familiar with the music industry and how music law i find that stuff very fascinating the music law and music copyright is very complicated and from what i've seen a lot of the online community isn't too familiar with it and that's why i've seen a lot of the initial reaction was oh the music industry is being so greedy how could they do this this is this is so um like, this hi, is so welcome. evil we've we, but, we've been we've been balancing this on yeah. youtube and we had this exact same reaction a decade ago it's nothing new it really isn't right? and if you know the music industry and how record labels work and how just ownership of music works you would know it's actually a miracle that twitch streamers have been able to stream copyright right. music this whole time like it doesn't matter if you really like the weekend if you want to play after hours sorry you can't it's he owns it republic records owns it you need permission even if you got permission from him, it's the copyright system still going to pick you up, and it's still mm -hmm. it's getting permission is just it's so complicated. And the, the the long and short of it, I would say, is that is Twitch has definitely dropped the ball on this, and I would say they are majority to blame, not the record labels. The record labels are doing kind of their job; they're doing what they always do. If you think the record labels are being savage for this, you have no idea the extent of yeah. how savage the music industry really is. But ten years ago on YouTube, there were horror stories, dude. You had oh yeah. I think the most infamous one that made a New York Times article back in the day, this would have been seven, eight, nine years ago, so excuse me if the details are a little fuzzy, but yeah, a record label picked up what I think was a Rihanna song in the background of a video which was just watching a baby dance. It was very quietly in the background, and they took the woman to court. They sued her for a lot of money. I think I remember that. And that was because she posted the video to YouTube. And this was back in the early, early days. Yeah. And it was one of these moments where... You know, if YouTube wasn't already having the kick in the behind, they absolutely were at that point. Mm. And they started to take the entire system much more seriously. And it's only over time, as creators have been able to put some input to it, where it's become a somewhat functional system that it is today. Where, thankfully, if someone falsely claims a video uh, and is not acknowledging the fact that it's transformative or alternatively has claimed something that doesn't belong to them, such as, say, I don't know, I had one group try to claim Destiny's music because it belonged to a creator oh, yeah, that they times. represented because they'd made a video with that in it. Yeah. It's just really stupid. But yeah, point being, you can easily challenge that stuff now and none of it is going to immediately be pulled into court. But, oh my gosh, um, Twitch not getting away with this stuff? for Switch getting away with this rather for this long? I'm totally in agreement. It is remarkable. Mm. Um, and, the, and you know, like, they'll move towards a functional system eventually, but I, 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 I feel for all the Twitch streamers who've had to go through this because, yeah, we, we've been there, you know? It's like, it's like that thing of the, uh, the meme of, like, first time? Mm. Like, yeah, the, that's, the, that's the, the one I've seen all the time. Right? It's just, yeah, like, this is very much something that we've dealt with, and it's given everyone at least one or two horror stories on YouTube. Um, immediate recommendations to streamers. Get a Monster Cat license. Mm. You know, I've used them Cat for license. possibly seven years. Yeah. And if you and if you really want to go ahead and if there are bands that I can recommend, like I know the Gunship and the Midnight, if you're into your kind of like electronic and synthy stuff, yeah. You know, there are bands out there that will actively be much more in tune with their Twitch audience and will whitelist certain um sites like Twitch for you to be able to use their music, right? And that's very much something where you need to check on a band-by-band -band basis. And again, keep in mind, 
if it's not something like I have bought the license for this, like a monster yeah. cat license, you can still get caught by a system. Even then, it's still complicated. Yeah, right. Even if the man gives you permission, as even you said. then, like you might have permission. Like I might be friends with the weekend, and he might tell me I can use his songs. Even then, it's not going to stop the system from picking up. And even with right. YouTube or Twitch, both it's still going to pick them up, and it's still going to claim a strike. And like even if you have permission, it's, a bot. it's still yeah. messy. And copyright law is just again. It's so much more complicated than I think a lot of people give it credit for, mainly because we're in a kind of age where sharing, reposting, and using stuff is kind of the norm, especially on the internet, especially on like Twitter, where you can kind of just share and post stuff. But I think, to be honest, what actually started all of this was the um, DJs. When DJs came onto Twitch with the lockdowns, because DJs obviously can't perform, there are a lot of very talented DJs who would do sets on Twitch. And that's when the music labels that own the rights to this music started being like, hang on, all these DJs are getting these massive audiences streaming copyrighted music. We're not getting a cut of this. What's going on here? And actually, mm -hmm. because Twitch, believe it or not, wasn't on their radar, but only, well, actually, they, they were subtly building a case behind behind the scenes for a while. But when when the uh, all the quarantine DJ sets started going live on Twitch, a lot of the industry started paying attention and then apparently well from twitch what they said is that they basically got just a flood of dmcas and they actually held them and didn't say anything about it and then they all of a sudden in october recently is when they just dropped them on all the partners so again mm -hmm. i i wouldn't put too much blame on the partners because even though i do think a lot of them should be aware that you just because you can get away with streaming copyrighted music and it just mutes your vod it's still actually technically illegal just because you're not getting punished for it doesn't really change the fact that it's technically illegal again it's not it's it, it's very easy to do and it's not very um it, it's commonly it's commonly done so you would assume it's okay but for the most part it's one of those situations where you just have to you just have to go down the route of you can't use any music and unfortunately twitch is uh, no longer in the bubble of getting to get away with it and they can now um I mean, some people are getting banned, but I I can't imagine people would get completely banned off. I, I'd I'd imagine they'll they'll figure out somehow. But Twitch said they're going to be uh, working on a working on some kind of deal with the music industry so they can get licensing with it. Facebook and TikTok already have it, which is quite mm -hmm. surprising because their competitors they literally have it where you can use music and it credits the artist. They get royalties. The money goes where it's supposed to. But Twitch apparently they don't like the deal that the record labels have proposed. So they even said in the in the in the blog post they said we're not sure if we're not sure when slash if we even might be able to get a deal because apparently the terms that they offered twitch weren't um weren't up to twitch's likings so mm -hmm. i think the record labels are basically asking for a ton of money in exchange for their streamers using music and twitch are like hang on that's pretty much i don't think twitch can have yeah afford to give what the music labels are asking so it's a yeah. bit of contention but it's messy there's kind of an interesting dynamic to it as well, because when they challenge Twitch, effectively what they're saying is give us a cut of the Amazon money. Yes. You know, like they're cutting into Jeff Bezos. And effectively with that, that means that there is potential for Twitch to bargain back. Mm. Because, you know, the minute that they start to throw egregious deals at Twitch, they can say, well, what if we just stopped recommending your music labels as much on Amazon? You know, and that's hilarious to think that that's even the dynamic of the power brokering that's going on here but i mean it's legitimately the case mm. regardless i'm with you when i say that i think twitch is much more to blame than partners yes partners should absolutely know that if they're streaming music in the background 
that is very much against copyright law. You know, mm. you need to do that under the premise that it is, if you're using any of it, transformative or is it some way, um, uh, some way other than being transformative is in compliance with the, you know, Digital Millennium Copyright Act and mm-hmm. what it classes as fair use. Mm-hmm. So that's things like education, for example. So, yeah, if people aren't able to adequately do this on Twitch, and if they're unable to understand where the law lies, that's one thing. But Twitch's inability to build out a system to help partners deal with this is something completely egregious. Mm. YouTube, for all of their failures and for all the time they took, did at least build a system up that allowed content creators to eventually challenge things. Mm -hmm. And it was not perfect at the beginning. Partners lost huge amounts of revenue from videos because they were claimed at the beginning of their life cycle. And then after that was all said and done, you know, they got pulled back and... Uh, you know, the income was just gone. Now, when you challenge a claim, the income is held and the winning party gets it in the end. Mm-hmm. So income thieves like that don't exist anymore. But, you know, the point to say is that these systems will have problems. And yeah. the fact that Twitch held the DMCAs in the first place and was unwilling to sort of give people the heads up kind of shows where the complicit nature of all this lies and who's really in trouble here. And it's definitely Twitch. You yeah. Know, I, I, I have no envy for any Twitch streamer who's in this position, but I will simply say, if you are in this place, um, figure out right now where you need to stand in the future. Because trust me, if you're having trouble with it now, and if you're deleting your VODs, it will only get worse, and it will only become more frustrating, and you should really, really look very carefully the kinds of content you create in the future and you just got to be more aware of it you know like and if you're thinking this is crazy and this is something that i'll never adapt to take heart we went through the same battle and the same journey we adjusted to it on youtube we found a way it was painful at first but we got used to it and it's actually worked out for the better because no one is in legal jeopardy and it has not significantly impacted the quality of our content and i think that's the most important thing our content is still good Mm. And people will still watch you. People will still come and find you. You just got to go ahead and make sure that you're in compliance. That's that's about all I can Pretty really much, say yeah. on it. Right? Yeah. But I mean, I, it's not that, that I definitely did see a lot of Twitch streamers that were a, a, a minority, I would, I would definitely add. But Twitch streamers that were aware that this day would come eventually and that streaming any copyrighted music, even if you get away with it, is not okay. And I know a lot of streamers that always were adamant about never playing copyrighted music, even if they could get away with it. But I think it's just a, it's a transition thing. People just have to get used to it and streamers, yeah. Twitch streamers will just have to, it's been a good run. It's It's been great being able to, you know, I enjoy tuning into streams and getting to hear, you know, a streamer's uh, favorite music. They can just play off iTunes. They can just play normal music. But unfortunately, uh, Twitch now has to be in the real world with the rest of us where you have to avoid copyright like the plague. If you see copyright, you have to run away from it. YouTubers, mm. we're, we're, we're perpetually in this mode. No cop. You have to be aware of everything. Just avoid run away the from mouse. copyright. Don't piss off Disney. Yeah. <laughs> My God. They will go after you with pitchforks and torches, dude. It's not pretty. Ugh, it's nasty. We'll get there. Anyway, we have talked about a lot of things. There's still much more we could talk about. I'm sure we will in future episodes. But um, thank you, of course, once again for joining me. Um, absolutely thank you for having me on again dude
Um, like I said, really appreciate the response in all the episodes. If you want to find, like I said, the audio versions are down there, the clip versions as well on the separate channel if you want to see short and sweet to the point snippets of the podcast. Um, but yeah, really appreciate it. again, once again, everyone who's been sending great feedback and even people um, got like a bunch of ratings, five-star ratings on the Apple iTunes, Apple podcast, whatever it's called, the app versions. Again, you guys, super generous. I appreciate all the the kind feedback i'm not sure what all you can do i think subscribe on spotify maybe and five stars on apple all the things and of course you can like the video if you made it this far i would uh i would like to think that i've earned uh, maybe a like rating and i'm sure maybe a subscription as well if you aren't already and of course check out my good friend bife and he will have all of the explanations of all of the stuff we talked about in this video by clovis bray if you want to find out about that stuff he will have all the videos to explain it but uh I think that's enough talking from us. Hopefully you enjoyed the episode and uh, we'll see you in the next one.